And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 282. Y'all, before we get in telling y'all about the shenanigans of Donna's birthday, let's go ahead and talk about Patreoners. And then we'll get into the, you know, the shiz of her birthday. Thank you so much, Carrie S. from Illinois. Lucy T. from Ohio. Michelle M. from Delaware, which I had Carrie Michelle, which is literally my name. Oh, shit. Okay, continue. Millie Q. from Washington. Carla G. from Michigan. And Sierra H. from Washington. I'm going to be like my mom. Do y'all know each other? (laughs) I kind of thought that because they signed up on the same day and I was like, I wonder if they're friends. Oh, maybe. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out and all of the extra content that they're getting on Patreon, make sure you go to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And you know, part of being in Patreon is you get a second Facebook group called the Creepinati. And in there, Donna shared some pictures from our trip. Where did we go? You ask a zoo. (laughs) Yes. It's wild acres in McHenry, Mississippi. So if you have listened to the podcast in any length of time you know that donna loves to do animal shit on her birthday <laughs> i do we've been to the alpaca farm from hell what else do we do the sloth we did the sloth exhibit where we actually got to hold it and now we did well we held a lot of rodents <laughs> we did okay what i learned my biggest takeaway is that porcupines are big okay my okay i have a couple of takeaways one is that i found out that i say that word really dumb like probably worse than argue oh god but you are working on that i really am working on not if you're new to the podcast apparently i say are you and not argue because that's stupid that the g is not silent but (laughs) we were talking at work about what i was gonna do and i was like we're gonna go see a porcupine and they were like a what and i was like a porcupine and they're like it's not a porcupine it's a porcupine yeah i was like a porcupine. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's not right. Yes, those buggers are huge. Yes. And did you know they don't shoot out their quills? Yeah, had no idea. We have become a National Geographic podcast <laughs> over here. I'm just telling y'all. We told y'all about bison. We're telling y'all about... And, and you know what? They're... What are they called? Porcupines? Their hair feels like wet pine straw. Mm-hmm. Carrie was all about the porcupine. Her, her name was Lady Gaga. Y'all fucking know how much I love Lady Gaga. But I did find out that they mate for life. Although um, she's not really wanting to mate right now. And uh, I forgot his name. We're going to call him Gus Gus because can't remember his name. Is wanting to. And so they're kind of on the outs right now. And so they have him separated until he calms his testosterone down a little bit. Because mm-hmm. she said, I ain't lifting my tail. You're going to get the quills. <laughs> Yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, We had to sit on the concrete because you have to be like on their level, which makes sense. But um, I had to sit on concrete. (laughs) I was like, Kobe, you going to help me up? (laughs) And he did. We got to pet and feed a capybara. And those really are just giant rodents. Oh, like those were like kind of cute to me until I got really close and I saw its eyes. I was like, this is just a big rat. (laughs) So this, cute. If you're, if you know anything about New Orleans, it's like a big old nutrient. Like, yeah, is, I did it. I pet it. I touched it. I did all the things, but like, I kept looking at those eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a picture. I did not post it, but there's a picture where your face is looking like I see those eyes. They stared into my soul. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, Tiffany's soul left her body. It sure did. Oh, my God. Well, there is one named Tyson, and Tyson was a little rowdy, and he, like, took off to, like, someone, I don't even know, like... To one of the smaller capybaras. Yeah. And Tiffany, oh, God, she was close to it. Oh, I couldn't breathe. She was like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, y'all, it was so hot. Our appointment time for this was at 1 p.m., and when I tell y'all, it was... I'm not even joking, 101 degrees with a heat index of, what, 115? Yeah. We went, we were roasting. Every degree of 115. I was a sweat ball and... My sweat had sweat. Yeah. One time we were sitting and we were uh, petting a Kodamundi, I think is how you say it. And um, 
when Carrie was getting up, she said, I'm just going to let y'all know an ass print will be on this. And I was like, I mean, me too. And like, everyone was like, yeah, no, all of us, <laughs> we're going to leave our ass print there. It was definitely a Carrie outline. <laughs> y'all, when I tell y'all that Donna was not okay when we left. Oh my I, God. I, I guess I forgot how bad Donna does in heat. Like, it's her birthday weekend. We're like, okay, our plan was to do this and then go eat after. <laughs> we were like, where do you want to eat? And like, she could not even think. She had to cool off. Yes. She could not process like food. She could not process literally words that were coming out of our mouth until <laughs> she cooled off a minute. Yes. Well, and so I didn't know that we could bring stuff in. So I didn't have like a big water bottle. I just had like a... Like a cup. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just buy, you know, the $10 water that they're going to have there. Or worst case scenario, they have like a soda or something. I'll just yeah. have it. They didn't have it. And so Carrie and them had a big water bottle, like a jug, but I don't like to drink after people. And at one point I was really hot. And so I was like, let me do it. And then I almost threw up in my mouth thinking about <laughs> just because like, it's not a straw or anything, even though I know that's the same thing. It's just the fact that you're having to tump the, like put the bottle up and thinking about the backwash. And I was like, nope, I'm done, 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 done. If anything, I think that that probably was less backwash because nobody was really putting their mouth on it. You know, it was just like- Tiffany a, was. Uh, and yeah, I just couldn't do it. Mm-mm. And so I was so hot and dehydrated by that yeah. point. I have water with me all the time. Me too. And so I'm very dependent on that. And I, I didn't have it. And I was like, oh God. But it really was a lot of fun. Even though it was so fucking hot, it was worth it for me because I loved just like- I don't know, learning about stuff, seeing things. Oh, there was one monkey though. He did not like me or he really liked me. I don't know. He had like some fascination with me. His name was Boots and I don't think we're on speaking terms. He would like look at you and be like, Bruh. yes, she was like, he normally doesn't single one person out. And then he'd look at her and go, <laughs> but he was eating and I was like, I think he thinks I want his food, <laughs> but they do have different events and I want to go back. They had one that they said is witches and wine in October. And that sounds fun. And it's at night and in the fall. Yeah. But I mean, fall here is still freaking 80 degrees sometimes. Oh, for sure. But that's a whole lot better than 115. Yes. In the blazing sun. So another thing happened. We won best of the pine belt. Whoop, whoop. So thank y'all so much for voting. We didn't even really talk about it on the podcast, but Creep Mom shouted us out in the Facebook group. And so everyone was voting from the Facebook group and stuff and we won. And so that's like a local award here in Mississippi where we live in the county. And so we are the best podcast of the Pine Belt. That's our third time to get it. And I think the fifth time they've had it like as a category in our mm. awards thingy around here. The first time we got it, we had to go up on stage to accept it. And that's when I was like, uh, like trying to talk in front of people. And Carrie was on her scooter. With a pick line. Yeah. Zooming my way across the stage. <laughs> you did. Well, I have like a monologue apparently because I just keep talking. And not to make Carrie mad because I'm going to talk about food. It's McDonald's and Jesus. Wendy's. <laughs> I am on a kick of hot mustard for the chicken nuggets. I'm obsessed. Where has this been all my life? I don't know, but I could just like, well, no, I actually couldn't. I was going to say dip my finger in it. And then I was like, no, no you never couldn't, couldn't do it. <laughs> no, but it is really good. So if you've never had the chicken nuggets with hot mustard, go to McDonald's, do it. But also Wendy's has a ghost pepper chicken sandwich and I've had it maybe three times this week and it's the fourth day of the week. Really? <laughs> yes, I've been obsessed. Oh my gosh, my stomach would hate me. <laughs> it's so good. Also, y'all, I don't care the shocks about food. I just think it's funny, not, that we got a review one time that we're like, all we do is talk about McDonald's. And then this bitch being like, it's Grimace's birthday, y'all. <laughs> it was, and the shake was good. <laughs> And I do get a frappe every morning, okay? <laughs> McDonald's should be paying you dividends, though, because one day you posted a frappe and like six people were like, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. I know. Sponsor me, McDonald's. We got to talk about Donna's favorite, real paper. Because for real, they use bamboo to make their sustainable toilet paper. I am telling you, if you use toilet paper, even if it's after the bidet and you do just a little swipey swipe, real toilet paper is so soft 
so luxurious feeling, and it doesn't leave any residue behind. I saw you looking at me about the bidet thing. You like bidets now, too, but we still use toilet paper. But y'all know the reason why I love it so much is because it is shipped to my door every time. I think I have it for like every three months. And I love it because it really looks like you're in a hotel because they individually wrap it. And if you like to be organized or like have that aesthetic, it's for you. And that's just like a little extra. I've been seeing all these TikToks where people are wrapping their toilet paper in napkins to like look like fancy in their bathrooms. Well, real does that work for you. And you know what? You know that it is in a sustainable way. Real paper gets shipped to your door in plastic-free packaging. And like Donna said, you can schedule it on a subscription base that works for you. Real is partnered with One Tree Planted. And with every box of Real that you buy, they're funding reforestation efforts across the country. So unlike other toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is actually helping to plant them. And when real paper is being made, like I said, it uses bamboo. So picture bamboo growing like grass. It's like in your backyard and it's time for the grass to be cut. So you get on your lawnmower and you cut it. And then in two weeks, it's back. Well, that's how bamboo is. You cut it like you cut grass. So you're not taking it up from the root and killing it like you do a tree when you make paper products. So that's what makes real paper so different and so sustainable. And sometimes when products are eco-friendly, you feel like you're losing some of that luxury. But with real, no, it adds to it. I am telling you, bamboo is so soft. Well, you've all seen like bamboo sheets and stuff like that. They're so soft. Well, think about that on your bum with your paper, your toilet paper. You will not regret it. You really won't. Also, real does paper towels. They're very absorbent and very soft as well. So if you want to get in on this and have real paper shipped directly to your door with free shipping in 100% recyclable and plastic-free packaging, you got to go to realpaper.com slash creep and sign up for a subscription using the code creep at checkout. You're going to get 30% off your first order. And yeah, you heard me say it before, free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash creep. And you can enter code creep to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. You don't have to go to the store to buy any TP. It gets shipped to you for free. Real is paper for the planet. Go to realpaper.com slash creep and use code creep at checkout and you're going to get 30% off of your first order plus free shipping. Y'all, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. And let me just tell y'all, I finally took the plunge. I know last time we talked about BetterHelp, I was like, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to start my thing. I think I had even taken the quiz, but I was matched with the licensed therapist. And y'all, she is the bomb. I love her. So when you sign up for BetterHelp, it's going to take you through some prompts to ask you questions about what do you want to work on? What are things that you need in a therapist? Like, do you want someone who is religious? Do you want someone who's spiritual? Do you want someone who's LGBTQ? Do you want someone who's male, female, any specifics that you need? So for me, I was like, I don't want them to be religious and I want a female because that's what I need for me to feel like I can share what I needed to share. This the little quiz that you fill out was super fast. And within, I think like a day, I don't, don't quote me on the exact amount of time, but rather quickly, I was matched with a licensed therapist that met my needs. And you remember how we always talk about that with better help, you can switch therapists if you're not comfortable and better help makes it so easy to switch therapists when a traditional therapy service doesn't necessarily do that. After my first session with my therapist, where she was just doing intake questions, like what stuff you want to work on? Tell me a little bit about your family, you know, just to kind of get to know you questions so that they can guide their treatment plan. I just really liked the way that she and BetterHelp make you feel comfortable to change therapists if you need to. Well, and if you don't know what we're talking about, BetterHelp is online therapy. Oh, (laughs) y'all, I'm so excited. It's been going so great. I'm like, so here's all the things. (laughs) Just so you know. It is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
which has done me wonders because my therapy appointments have been when I get home from work. So I'm not having to take off. I'm not having to go sit in a waiting room, drive somewhere, all the things. I literally come home from work and turn my computer on and have a face-to-face with my therapist. But you don't want to do face-to-face. You can do calls. You can do messages. There's like a, a messaging platform where you can send your therapist messages. They can answer you back. That's where you schedule your sessions. It's a very user-friendly app. And that's so important because starting therapy, you give yourself so many roadblocks of, well, I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to do that. Well, having it conveniently online, that helps break down that roadblock. And also how you said, it's all user-friendly. So if you want to get in with BetterHelp, you're going to go to betterhelp.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. I really don't think you'll regret signing up with BetterHelp because of the way their questionnaire is set up to help you get matched with a licensed therapist that suits your needs and the flexibility of the schedule and the ways in which you can communicate with your therapist. You can't go wrong. So head on over to betterhelp.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash A-P-C to get 10% off your first month. So my story this week came from a recommendation in our Discord group, and it came from Zoe. Now, if you want to know how to get in the Discord, well, you got to be a member of Patreon. So remember that thing I said earlier when I was like, uh, patreon.com slash APC podcast? You got to go there. You got to join, and then you can get in on Patreon. So this story happens in Chichiro, and that is in Italy. So no, I'm going to fuck up some names, but I'm going to try my best. Italian food is my favorite, I honestly think. Well, look, Donna and I have been sitting here. She doesn't know the story. She has no idea. She just knows some of the names because she has been sitting here with me while I pronounce names.com this shit and try to like phonetically write it down because I'll write it phonetically and then butcher it. And so... Donna's like, that's not what they said because her brain works like that and mine doesn't. She can't do numbers. I can't do languages. Okay, so we're going to start by talking about three friends. Giovanni Guido, at the time he was 19, Angelo Izzo, and Andrea Gira, 22 at the time. So all three of these guys were very wealthy. Are they single? We don't care. We hate them. So the three of them live in like in Rome and around Rome and they all had money. Now, Andrea was already having a little bit of trouble with the law because he was part of this political event that was like a very far right event. And he actually, when he was 16, got arrested and convicted for like CDS protest. And then he had some stuff where he was even sentenced to five years for robbery. And that was actually with Angelo Izzo. What the hell? So it's like these three guys had all the money in the world, had all the opportunities in the world, and they were shit humans. That's enough about them. Let's talk about Rosario Lopez, who is 19 years old, and Donatella Colastiani. She was 17. Rosario was working as a bartender, and Donatella was a student. Now, I've seen some stuff where they were already friends, and then I've seen some stuff where it's like they met this one night, but I think that they were just acquaintances that they had met through like a mutual friend. And one day, Rosario and Donatella are at a bar, hanging out, chit-chatting, and that's when they meet Giovanni and Angelo. So the girls are hanging out at this bar when they meet the two guys. They are just chatting it up. And the boys are like, why don't y'all come the next day to hang out like at this house of their friends and we can just, you know, do all the things, things that teenagers do. The house of their friends. Because they're all rich and they have these big houses and stuff. So it's like, let's go over to my friend's house tomorrow. I know, but the houses of their friends. You know what? I just... (laughs) Donatella wasn't able to go the next day. And so they're like, it's cool. Let's do it on Monday then instead. They said, you know what? Our friend Andrea is having a party at his villa. So let's go there Monday. So on September 29th, 1975, the girls went to the villa to hang out with the friends. So from what I understand, 
because it's a lot of places that are in Italian and I'm like, I think I'm understanding what's going on here. But Carlo, who kind of introduced them all, was supposed to be there, but he wasn't. And it was just Angelo and Giovanni. And so they were like, so let's go to this other place and like meet up with Carlo. Well, on the way, they stopped so they could call Carlo. And he was like, hey, actually, I'm not there, but like, come on to this house that's his or something. It was very confusing. This gives me anxiety. Yes, I know. It, this would be in a movie and I would be like, why are y'all going all the places with these boys? Yeah, it's just so much of the unknown. But they're in their late teens, early 20s, and they're just having fun. They're not. We did the same things when we were in their age. So we're not yeah. being like victim blaming at all. It's also they're in Rome. It's a free spirit. It's, a, you yeah. know, it's like, I mean, Carlos says, he, I'm at the seaside. Go on to the house. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, most of mine comes from being an extra large pizza. So I'm like, am I going to have a comfortable seat to sit in? Is, is it going to be like people that's going to make me uncomfortable? Or is there going to be somewhere for me to pee? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. That's all the things. No, totally get that. But I even think about like the movies like Under the Tuscan Sun, like shoot it just gone. Like it's, you know what I mean? I feel like we're just in this true crime world where we're like, ooh, this feels ick. And I mean, it's in a story that I'm telling. So you have this foreboding of the story. Whereas if this was a movie or, you know, when you were 22, it would have been like, yeah, go to the house party. What does it matter? Yeah. So when they get to the house that the girls thought was Carlos, it wasn't. It was Andrea's. So they get there, they're listening to music, hanging out, having a good time when the guys try to make their move. Because originally there was supposed to be three guys, three girls, but one of the friends of the girls that was supposed to come couldn't come and backed out last minute. So it was going to be in the guy's head, Andrea, Giovanni, and Angelo, and then Donatella, Rosario, and the person who ended up backing out. So after they've had a good time for a little while, the guys make their move and they try to have sex with the girls. And the girls are like, whoa, no, that's we're just here to like have fun. I don't even know. Maybe drink a little bit, like listen, music, dance, have fun, swim, all the things. No idea if they were swimming and drinking and dancing, (laughs) but that's what I imagine you do in a villa of someone who's rich. Yeah. You know what I picture? Did you watch the most recent, I think it's the most recent season of American Horror Story when they're at the beach and it's the guy who like gives supplies everybody with the cocaine and he has like this like big house party for all the gay men to like come and have sex and swim and do coke and hang out. That's what I'm picturing like their house. Oh, no. When the girls refused to have sex, it set the guys off. Giovanni actually pulled a gun out. What? And then they start making claims that Giovanni is part of this Italian mafia that was really big in the 70s and that their leader was on their way, like their leader of the gang was on the way. And like the women were freaking out because they're like, oh, my God, like, what do we do? Like, how do we get mixed up in this? Like, they're they're part of the mafia. Like, we have to do what they say. So at this point, Andrea wasn't there. It was just the two guys and the two girls. So after they have scared the girls with the gun and saying that they're part of the mafia, Giovanni and Angelo rape the women. They tell the women that they're going to lock them in the bathroom waiting for Jacques, who is the supposed head of the mafia, to come and seek his vengeance for them not doing what they wanted. Oh, my God. But really, they were just waiting on Andrea. They left the girls in the bathroom all night long. Allegedly, the next morning, Angelo goes in to check on them and he finds that the sink is broken. How I picture it is that the women are, okay, how do we get out of this? They've been in there all night. They've been trying to figure out maybe there was some sort of window up there and they tried to crawl on the sink to maybe try to get out and the sink broke. How else could they have broken the sink? Yeah. It's not like they were doing any. I mean, they were terrified in that bathroom. Like, so what else would they have been doing other than trying to find a way to escape? Yeah. I was thinking if they were like handcuffed to the sink, them pulling it that way. I think they were just locked in there. I didn't see anything about handcuffs, but that doesn't mean that they weren't. I I think they were just trapped in the bathroom. Yeah. Which is still terrible. Oh my gosh. 
but at least they could use the bathroom. I, Donna, look, y'all know, I, I mean, I really do have an issue with my bladder, like an actual medical condition called interstitial cystitis. And so the thought of not being able to go to the bathroom somewhere when I have to go, I mean, it, it hurts. And so I, I, that seems so insignificant, like you're you're literally kidnapped and trapped. But that is my first thought every time someone I hear a story about someone getting kidnapped. When Angelo came in and saw the sink broken, he got very angry and started physically abusing the women. Y'all locked them in a freaking bathroom. Oh, my gosh. So Andrea eventually got there. And when he did, I guess he brought drugs with him because at that point is when they started injecting the women with drugs. Oh, my gosh. They got three injections each, but they didn't fall asleep. So I'm not really sure exactly what they were injecting in them or how, because surely they weren't doing it properly. But like I said, they wouldn't fall asleep. And so this angered them more because you got to think this isn't I'm not going into a ton of detail because there's not a lot on the Internet about what the what they went through. But there was a lot of repetitive rapes and beatings that they went through. Mm, My gosh. So after they wouldn't fall asleep, the men took Rosario into a separate room because they were going to, quote, chloroform her. And while they were in there, you could hear all this crying and shouting and trying to, you know, Rosario was really trying to fight the men off. And eventually it just stopped because they had drowned her in the bathtub. Oh, my God. So then it was Donatella's turn. The men come in to the room where Donatella was and start off by hitting her in the head with the butt of the gun. She's kind of dazed when they tied, I've seen a noose and a belt, but it seems like a belt, tied a belt around her neck and start dragging her through the villa in order to strangle and kill her. Oh my gosh. So she's fainting at this point, but she hasn't passed away. So they're like, oh my God, like... She's not dying. Like, what do we do? And so they hit her on the head with an iron bar. Holy shit. But Donatella still had not died. But the men didn't know that. Donatella realized that the only way that she was going to survive this was if she pretended to be dead. And they fell for it. The guys get Rosario's body and they think Donatella's body, but she was still alive. And they put them in the trunk of their car. Meanwhile, this whole time, Donatella is still alive, but she's pretending to be dead. Like, she's doing such a good job that the fuckers that kidnapped her literally said, look how they sleep well, these two. Oh, my God. And then apparently one of them was like, shut up. Uh, There's two dead bodies here. I don't know why they would say that. But anyway, they take off in the car, presumably to dump the bodies. But I guess they just decided that they were hungry. So they stopped at a very like ritzy area in Rome just to go to a restaurant to eat while the women are still in the trunk of the car. Oh, my God. I just, that takes a certain level of a monster to do that. Yes. To be like, you know, I just did this horrible thing. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm famished. Let me run. Go grab a bite. Yeah. Also, balls of steel. Right. Well, as soon as Donatella heard them walk away, she goes into survival mode, which, I mean, she's been the whole time, and she is beating the trunk and screaming and, like, banging to try to get someone to hear her, and it worked. There was a patrolman in the area who heard her, and, like, he was, like, what I think of, like, a a lot of stuff called him a night watchman, so I think he was just, like, like a security guard who then called the police. And it was supposed to be an encrypted message. And I think because journalists would listen in and it said, like, we've got a cat trapped or something like it was something about a cat. And when I read that, I was like, what? But journalists knew what it was. And when police arrived and popped up in the trunk, a journalist was there and literally snapped a picture right as Donatella was emerging from the trunk. Oh my God. So you can see that online if you want to see it. Like, we're obviously not going to post that, but if you want to, you can find that. So Donatella was taken to the hospital and she had some pretty bad physical injuries, but she was physically okay. But there was some serious damage that it took her, you know, throughout her lifespan. She never really got over. And there was a lot that went on with the trials and these fucking assholes so that i'm going to get into so 
Giovanni and Angelo were arrested. But Andrea got tipped off or something and he ran and he fled to Spain. Like these people have money. That's the thing. They have money for the defense. They have money to run. They have fucking money. Yeah. So ended up all three were tried, even though Andrea was not there. He was tried and found guilty in absentia and he was sentenced to life in prison. Now, all three of them got life in prison, but his was even without him being there. So long story short on him, he fled to Spain, changed his name, and actually enlisted in the Foreign Legion in Spain and was kicked out in 1994 for drug abuse. That's how long he was gone. This happened in 75. What? Mm -hmm. And then after that happened, he like moved in with his girlfriend and eventually died of an overdose. So when they found out, like, it got back, like, hey, this is him. He died of an overdose. People are like, "Mm, can't be. Like, he's still alive. He faked his death so he could, like, mill about the world however he wanted to. But they were like, okay, let's actually get a DNA test. So they did a DNA test on, like, they took his femur back to Italy, did a DNA test on it, and they're like, it's him. But then people, conspiracy theorists were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think it was who owned the company that did the DNA testing was his relative. Oh, my God. So they were like, no, 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 no. They're fucking covering up for it. Like, we still don't believe it's him. So they got like an an independent lab or whatever to run it. And it was, in fact, him. Holy shit. So can you imagine just Donatella like this back and forth and ups and downs of like he's been missing all these years because she got a lot of threats and all from testifying because like Andrea even wrote a letter to Giovanni and Angelo to basically be like, don't worry, you're going to get out soon on good behavior because like I'm a killer kind of thing. Right. So she was, I mean, terrified. I mean, of course, after everything she went through, but then you have these men who have so much money at their disposal and one who has literally fled the country and cannot be found. And he's threatening to kill you so that you can't testify. And then he's just for 20 years in the wind like can you imagine how scary that was for no no i cannot so giovanni and angelo were sentenced to life in prison they both had some escape attempts and at one point like they like held a guard against his will like at gunpoint to try to escape and they did once and giovanni was actually on the run for like two years i think when he was captured from his escape but listen to this shitty part God, I don't even know which part, which one of their stories to tell you first because oh they're both God. so fucking ridiculous. I know. You're like, listen to this shitty part. And I'm like, yeah, the whole story. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Giovanni first. So Giovanni, you know, again, all got life sentences, but Giovanni paid Rosario's family a million pounds as like restitution and was basically like, I'm so sorry, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then even offered Donatella a million. It's a million pounds, but that's that's just like, I forget what the money was, whatever Italian money is. I'm saying a million pounds because that's how it was like translated for me. And that's the closest money I can understand to a dollar. That million pounds was also offered to Donatella. And she was like, absolutely not. I'm not taking your blood money. I'm not. But because he said he felt bad and paid that money, He got his sentence reduced to 30 years. Are you fucking kidding me? After he had escaped and been gone for two years. What the fuck? Money really can buy you a shorter prison sentence. Right? So Angelo Izzo, he actually in 2004 was like semi-released from the prison. Not in like a full, hey, you're out, but semi-released and while he was out in 2005 he committed another double homicide he killed a mother and daughter 49 year old maria majorano and 14 year old valentina majorano and he bound and tortured them before he suffocated them to death so after that of course he was taken back to prison and given his life in prison That makes me so mad. And from what I can tell, he's still in prison and Giovanni is out now. And he was out with like some social workers and 
2008. He only served like 14 years. And unfortunately, December 30th, 2005, at the age of 47, Donatella passed away from metastatic breast cancer. Donatella's last words were, let's fight for the truth. I'm not going to even try to say that in Italian, but it translated. That's what she said, because she was such an advocate for women. And I didn't really understand this, but it said that she had this role in getting rape recognized as a crime against the freedom of a person and not against the public morality, which changed some laws on, I think, the conviction of rapes. Yeah. And of course, she was very, very vocal about them getting released and the subsequent murder of Maria and Valentina, which is like literally should not happen. Right. Like that is, I mean, all murders are senseless, but that is like the most preventable murder ever. Just keep him in fucking prison Mm -hmm. because we know he's a shit person because he had life in prison. Angelo had an interview where he said that men are warriors, so they rape, and that women are just pieces of meat. He clearly has absolutely nothing for women and thinks that he's superior and that he's going to do what he wants to do. So, like, why was he let out and entrusted even for, like, a work release program? You know, I just I don't even understand why he was released at all. He was serving life in prison. Like he had that interview before he was released. I'm not sure, uh, to be honest. Uh, In my head, it's before, but I don't actually know. Yeah. And every time you see a picture of him, he just has this shitting grin on his face. I'm just like, I really want to punch him in his face. Like he just has (laughs) that face where I'm like, it's just a smug smile that he does and even the article talking about what he said about women talked about like the smug smile he had on his face and i'm like oh it's not just me (laughs) (laughs) yeah gosh i'm glad donatella survived that so we know what they went through and rosario's story isn't lost they were kidnapped for 35 hours holy shit 35 hours of torture and let's just say even part of that time that they were locked in the bathroom i mean can you imagine the fear and again they had to have been trying to escape which is why the sink was broken just that they were trying so hard to make it well i'm kind of glad that it didn't go into all the detail because that sounds like it would have been just brutal yeah sometimes those details are so difficult to hear But can we just say fuck cancer because she survived that horrible ordeal and then fucking cancer? I know. Oh, well, thank you, Zoe, for that recommendation. I get kind of focused on just U.S. stuff, even just when I'm listening to things like that. And so I don't hear all of these stories. Well, and like with this story, I tried to find some podcasts on it and YouTube videos Because it's called the Chichiro Massacre. And when I would look that up, I would look up like Donatella's name, Rosario's name. Nothing would pop up. But then sometimes I would get something in Italian, which obviously I'd have no clue what they're saying. I mean, there was like nothing to listen to about this. Okay, so I'm covering Letchworth Village in Rockland County, New York. So right now it's an abandoned asylum. But of course, we're going to talk about the history of it. So it was opened in 1911, and it was named after William Pryor Letchworth. He was a successful businessman, and he was really known for his charitable work. So he traveled around the world investigating and researching the treatment of people who were, quote, insane, epileptic, and poor children. He ended up writing two books from his findings, and so he was very serious about making the living conditions and the treatments that were provided better than what was being offered currently. He ended up donating his 1,000-acre estate to become Letchworth Village, which is why it was named after him. And, you know, it was built with hope and compassion and was going to be this new era of asylum. You know, it was built for all ages to live there, from newborn to elderly. And it was for people who had both mental and physical disabilities. Like I mentioned, William Letchworth had spent a lot of his time seeking out how to properly care for those people who couldn't care for themselves. Now, in total, when it was completed, Letchworth Village was on 
2,300 acres, not just the land donated by William. And their thought was, it really does take a village to care for one another. And so they wanted to make sure that everyone who was housed there felt like they were in a community, not a prison, because, you know, like they couldn't leave the property, you know? So they were confined there, but they didn't want the residents to feel like they were imprisoned. Now, they also wanted to give the residents activities to do, you know, tasks to complete so they felt accomplished, all the things. They had a bakery, people farmed the land, they had a place to worship, they had playgrounds, different dormitories, a lot of different things on this massive property. Now, at the height of the village, there were over 130 buildings on that property. And something also that was new with Letchworth Village was the layout. There were different sections for children, adults, and people who were sick. Because we've talked about asylums before, and it would have children in the same unit as adults with little to no supervision. That's literally a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So Letchworth Village was a beacon of hope for people because Again, we all know what almshouses and poorhouses were. They had good intentions, but usually were never really good. And unfortunately, that's kind of how Letchworth Village became. It started out so promising, but by 1921, just 10 years after opening, it was riddled with overpopulation and the issues that coincide with that. When it was built, they would say an acre a resident So, you know, it's just like, this is so expansive. These residents will have plenty of room to grow, to have fun. It's not going to be them confined to this small room and, you know, basically, again, like a prisoner. But there was a report that was published in 1921 by Dr. Charles Sherman Little. He was the superintendent of Letchworth Village. And he laid out some information that just makes you want to cringe. Because we know the vocabulary was totally different back then. But Dr. Little went on to report that there were three different classifications for patients. Idiot, imbecile, and moron. Oh, my God. And Dr. Little also went on to say that they were separated by mental capacity, too. So it was three groups, middle-aged and industrious, young and improvable, and infirm and helpless. So what that meant was those who were not able-bodied weren't seen as helpful because they weren't able to do any of the farming and all of that. So like newborns, helpless. They just weren't a benefit of the state. That's how he would say it. Now, on top of farming, they would also have jobs like building roads, loading coal from one place to another. It was really hard labor kind of work that these people were expected to do if they were able-bodied. I mean, now thinking about it, it's like, yeah, but that's like free labor. Mm -hmm. And it was not okay for them to do that. Because when it started out, they would make little toys for Christmas time and like sell them and, you know, be able to keep some of the money and, you know, do things like that. Okay, cool. But then it turned into, like I said, hard labor. Now, along with the overcrowding, the funding by the state dwindled and the lack of that funding created more issues with the overcrowded asylum. Instead of being able to build new facilities to house more patients, they would just line the hallways with mattresses on the floor and put mattresses in the common areas. It was so bad that sometimes there were not enough clothes to go around, so some of the residents were just nude. On top of that, many were unclean. and If they were clothed or even just dirty, some were covered in their own feces, and that would be like that for days. That is horrible. Yeah, because they wouldn't bathe them on the regular because they they couldn't. They didn't have the resources to do that. There were several female residents who were raped by other residents and then sometimes staff. The nurses had like 30 minutes to feed all of the residents. But remember, there were way more or way too many residents and they had them on mattresses and whatnot. So there was usually like two to three nurses to cover about 100 patients each. What? Yeah. So to get done with the feeding, sometimes the food would be shoved down the person's throats. 
And there's records of this leading to choking and ultimately death. Right. Now, by 1950s, over 4,000 people lived there, and it was built for 1,000 people. Holy shit. So, again, just imagine the conditions with that much overcrowding. Even if it was the cleanest that you could be with that much overcrowding, that many people. But you know it's not. Oh, for sure. So, like, that just adds to it. Yeah, because if it was, like, the cleanest and, and all of that, they wouldn't have that amount of overcrowding. Yeah, So a lot of the residents were children and they did not receive any education, even if they weren't, quote, feeble minded or if they were, they still had the cognitive ability to learn. They weren't given any education. I was going to say, why would they? Because they deemed them as less than and incapable. Yes, Also, a lot of the children were malnourished. And I mean, a lot of the residents were, but it was a lot of children. And it's kind of like the children came second. You know what I mean? Like, okay, feed the adults. And then the children's just going to cry anyway, so they could be hungry. But something else that took place at Letchworth was um, some experiments. Oh, my God. With people who have mental disabilities, we know they cannot grant consent, especially if they're children, you know, and sadly, children seem to be the one who suffered from these experiments the most. Like in 1950, Letchworth Village became renowned <laughs> renowned as being one of the first laboratories that conducted human trials for the polio vaccine. It was given to an eight-year-old boy. And he didn't die from it. He didn't have any side effects. So they were like, oh, okay, cool. So then they were like, let's try more. Ended up testing the vaccine on 19 more children. 17 of them developed antibodies and the others already had them. And so basically within a few years, the polio vaccine as we know it was created. And so because it worked, it kind of overshadowed that they were using kids. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah. So it's just like cool, but also wow. Also, Letchworth was on the cutting edge of treatments or, you know, so they thought, but it was electroshock therapy and they thought, yes, it could be a treatment, but also another experiment where they could see what effects electroshock therapy had on the brains of those, quote, feeble-minded people, again, who were labeled morons, imbeciles, and idiots. Not only did many of the patients not survive, But those who did were never the same after that treatment, usually far worse than before the treatment. Another kind of secret research was lobotomies, both physical and chemical. And I did not know there was a chemical lobotomy. Mm -hmm. Did not know that. And it was basically just to see how effective they were. Yep. Just just for fucking fun. Mm -hmm. Also, if a resident passed, oftentimes they would remove their brain and keep it in a jar so they could study it later. But again, they were never given consent to do this. Well, I mean, just think about like after Jeffrey Dahmer died, though, they wanted to keep his brain and Mm -hmm. his dad was like, absolutely not. And his mom was like, yes, let's learn from this. And his dad was like, no. Yeah. So in 1972, ABC News featured a documentary by someone who was a reporter. Now we don't really think of him as an investigative journalist. But Geraldo Rivera. I knew that's what you were going to say. I don't know how, but I was like, it's going to be Geraldo. (laughs) So back when he was really doing the news, he had this documentary and it was called Willowbrook, The Last Disgrace. And it focused on Willowbrook School on Staten Island. And while they were looking at this school, they saw... Oh, Letchworth Village in New York. And also they saw some facilities in California. And what they found was California, they were trying to help their residents prosper to be independent. But New York wasn't doing that. And it was like, oh no, these conditions are fucking atrocious. Geraldo's documentary, it showcased just how overcrowded the conditions were, how dirty and just, you know, people in their bile and all of that. And just what you think of 
an asylum back in the day, like when you see it on TV and stuff where it's just loud screams and all of that. That's what this was because they were in pure misery. They did highlight that it was severely understaffed. And so, again, there's no schooling, there's no training, anything to keep the residents occupied besides hard labor. And so they weren't saying the residents or the patients were terrible or anything like that. They're saying, no, the conditions that they're living in is subhuman, you know? And so they're not saying that the people who work there were terrible. It's like they're doing the best they can with what the state has provided for them. And it was not enough. That documentary was really groundbreaking and it led to a nationwide change of inadequate funding and all of that. But that didn't mean that Letchworth changed overnight. The conditions pretty much stayed the same as they phased out the asylum and eventually closed in 1996. And it's just like they shut the doors and left all the shit behind. I don't know what the fucking term is, but, you know, the apple basket, like, swappy swapped. What do you call it? Apple basket turnover? Yeah, that. Like, they just had people placed in different asylums and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they didn't look back. So all of the discarded belongings and stuff just make the abandoned buildings look even more ominous. Now, there were a lot of deaths on the property. We know this. But they had a cemetery that was located near the end of Call Hollow Road. And there's actually like a biking trail, walking trail that goes by this. And it's kind of like in the woods. But The cemetery, people would just be buried with a number to identify them, no names or anything. And most of the time, it was because the families of those people didn't want their name out there because, you know, image is everything. And they couldn't have someone who was considered less than and all the things. Yeah, fuck off. Well, even like the Kennedys had, was it an aunt or something that was in an asylum that they just like hid I don't know, but I do know that during this, Kennedy is the one who like had this whole thing go for that Willowbrook. Okay, so back to the cemetery and being basically like a pauper's field. There were people who advocated for names to be released so that they could be memorialized. And so now there's a plaque at the front of that cemetery, and it's titled, Those Who Shall Not Be Forgotten. And it has a list of all of those buried in that cemetery. Now, Letchworth Village, it's very funny that you said American Horror Story because it's what uh, Ryan Murphy used to create season two of American Horror Story, The Asylum, because the role it had in that documentary and he saw that and he was inspired to make Asylum. Wow. Now, with all that going on, we know there is bound to be residual energy and things like that. And Letchworth is definitely a paranormal hotspot. People have reported hearing children's laughter, furniture being moved, footsteps, doors opening and closing, and more bone chilling, the disembodied screams people hear that they can only assume come from being experimented on or neglected. There have been pentagrams found on the third floor of the medical building. So people say even spirits that were not at the asylum could be roaming the halls because they were invited in or trapped there, you know, all the things. So on weirdus.com, Maddie J, he said that his cousin and his friends would go hang out there and they heard voices of a little girl giggling at the end of the hallway. He said certain rooms would be freezing cold in the middle of summer and it was as if something was right there with you. And when they were on their way down one of the hallways, their friend just collapsed and it was like she was glued to the floor. She could not move. And when she finally got up, she said it felt like something had ran through her. Then on hauntedplaces.org, there are some other experiences Uh, A user in 2014 said that they were there two days ago and they can confirm the place is definitely haunted. They walked into the morgue and before they noticed the freezers, their chest tightened up and started beating really fast and hard. And also when they walked into the room where they believe it's where they kept the brain samples, you could still smell the formaldehyde that they kept the brains in. 
Now, once they made it back to the staircase to go up, they stopped because they heard some noise. And when she looked down the hallway and saw this tall figure standing behind the second set of doors at the end of the hall, they were like, scared isn't even close to what I felt at that moment. And they went during the day. And so they were like, I don't know how anyone goes during the night. Then another guy, Mike, posted in 2015 that he's a firefighter for the district that covers the majority of the Letchworth property. And they've drilled in those buildings and had multiple fires in them. And the things that they've seen and heard are just freaky. He didn't say deaky, but you know I had to say it. And he said he's personally seen figures that seem to watch them as they're doing the drills. And they've heard screams while no one was in the building. And he was like, look, I'm a skeptic. I've never believed in any of that until I've experienced it. Then on Reddit, it was a ghost subreddit, Diablo Jr. 666. (laughs) He wrote that he had taken this picture while he was there July 16th of 2018 and it was like of this long hallway and in the back you can kind of see a face at the end of the hall but I think it's just like the peeling of the wallpaper but it does look freaky but he said his ex-girlfriend and him went to Letchworth Village to do some urban exploration. And he had no idea about the place at all. And she didn't want to tell him anything because she knew he wouldn't go with her. So he went in there blind. He said they explored the place for nine hours and he had the feeling of being watched all day. He said that he had some strange happenings like hearing a phantom old ambulance siren just faintly in the distance all day. He had feelings of his chest being compressed almost to the like, I can't breathe moment. They also came across swarms of flies. And he was like, that made me feel like I was in an exorcist film. No, thank you to the flies. Right. Now, back in season five, episode six, Ghost Adventures, you know, with old Dibbic Douche visited the place. And the episode is actually pretty entertaining. And I highly recommend anyone watching it. I watched it on Discovery+. Plus. This was before Zach is how he is today, but he was still a drama king. And, you know, he did feel a presence that was taking over him at one point. Was he possessed? And did he have on bedazzled jeans? He did have on bedazzled. Well, they were very Ed Hardy, Mm -hmm. all of it, you know. So I'm going to tell you about some of the experiences, but seriously, it was entertaining. During their walkthrough, the guys talked to this guy named Dave and his girlfriend, Jacqueline, who went by Jackie, and they admitted to almost being addicted to the place, like an unhealthy obsession with it. And no matter how hard they tried to stay away, they would find themselves back in those abandoned buildings. And Zach was talking to Dave. It's just such a weird exchange. But then he is like, so you just uh, break the law and come here? And he's like, the guy, Dave, is like, no, I don't break the law. I just, uh, no, I don't break in. I just trespass. And like behind him, there's like a no trespassing sign. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, that's not okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just yeah. so, I'm like, oh, this is TV gold. Yes, you are literally breaking the law. Yes, you are. In fact, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, it's you. You're the problem. It's you. <laughs> and Zach had said something. I don't even know what, but he was like telling Dave how they were going to interview. And he's like, so basically don't wear blah, blah. Don't do this. And he was like, and don't fart. <laughs> what? Don't. Boss of me. I'm going to fear fart if something's <laughs> attacking me. Oh God. And Dave was like, I can't promise on the farting. But I was like, this is. What? Um, what am I watching? Anyway, so Dave went on to talk about one time they were exploring with a group of their friends and the friends saw a seven foot figure lurking behind Dave as he was walking and he was unaware of anything behind him. But the friends called out to Dave to get his attention. And that's when the seven foot tall, like man like feature turned to look at them. And the friends described it as, again, being seven foot tall, having legs that were bent backwards. And when it made eye contact with them, it had piercing white eyes. But then it vanished in front of them. However, that night when they left, Dave was driving home and the radio just cut out. And then a voice came through, but he couldn't really make out what it was saying, but he was shaken up because he took that incident to mean that something had followed him home. 
and it was after that seven-foot-tall figure was following him. Now, the team had decided to not really split up, but they ended up unknowingly separating. And Zach was like, this is probably the same way that Dave and Jackie are drawn to this place. It's like the energy there just guides you where it wants you. They experienced hearing disembodied voices, such as a man talking, a girl screaming, and they also heard that siren like the guy in the Reddit thread talked about. It was so eerie, and they were talking about how it sounded like Silent Hill. So if you've played that game, seen that movie, you understand, and it really did give me chills just thinking about hearing that in an abandoned asylum. No, thank you. They also saw some dark figures in some of the hallways. They captured some EVPs that said, shut up, you prick. Oh, my God. They had to have been talking to what's-his-face. Well, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But pray your God, you're taunting me, and then come get me. So Aaron was touched in the morgue, and he heard a voice in there. Nick was pushed out of a room he was in, and when he was being pushed, there was a woman's voice on the spirit box that was saying, please help. Now, Zach, again, remember, felt like the entity was following him, and he captured the Pray Your God EVP when he was feeling all of this, and Aaron approached Zach and was like, hey, are you all right? Because, you know, he was being dramatic and, like, staring off into the wild blue yonder and, like, breathing weird, you know, the whole thing, and Zach was like, don't come any closer, man. I don't want you to, like be by me, just go. And basically, he didn't want him to disrupt what was going on. And Aaron was like, sure thing, boy, bye. Like, not getting into that. So then Ghost Adventures did the Aftershocks episode where they talked to the people. They just kind of review everything with the people that were involved. And Dave talked about his experiences at Letchworth and he said that him and Jackie ended up breaking up because she got into things she shouldn't have. And Zach was like, what do you think changed? And he was like, before we went to Letchworth, she was not like that. After when we got really addicted to go into that place, she got anxiety. She was just acting completely different. And she was just never the same. Zach said that the buildings made him scared but comfortable at the same time. And he said it was like the energy was so thick that it started to saturate their bodies. And he said it felt like his body reveled in that. And so he was starting to understand how Dave and Jackie were addicted to go into this place because he felt like he was on drugs and he wanted to keep feeling that comfortable uncomfortableness. Okay, so back to the shut up, you prick. Zach also interviewed one of the women who worked there before. Her name was Sarah. And she had said when he interviewed her, like on the original episode, that sometimes they didn't have enough utensils to do anything. And so they would give the medicine to the patients, like one after the other with the same spoon. <gasps> yeah. But you know, she was like, we did everything we could. And she said that what she holds on to is her trying to make a difference where she would like brush someone's hair and they're like, can I try? And she showed them how to brush their hair. And, yeah. you know, she's like, that moment right there was so special. And I know other people had that. And so it wasn't all bad. Like we did our best. And I feel like I made a difference in some people's lives and they made a difference in mine. But when Zach told her about the EVP, she like cracked up and she was like, yeah. That's that's totally someone here because like her name was Sarah. She saw this woman and she had heard people calling her Sarah. And so she's like, oh, your name's Sarah? Mine too. Like being kind of childlike mm -hmm. with her. And the lady, Sarah, just looked at her and said, shut up, you dope. Because <laughs> she's like, oh, shit. She's not a child. She's not like, I don't need to talk down to her. Yes. Like she's a human. She understands. And so that was a learning moment for Sarah, the worker. And she said so often, that's what they would say is shut up, you dope. Shut up, you prick. Because of how they would be talked to. And, you know, they just didn't know how to communicate. Both of them. All of them. Right. Both sides. Uh, but I just thought it was funny. Like he had that EVP and she's like, Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I even have a time where this was used. But what that shows is it's not just residual haunting. 
that was an intelligent haunting. Like she was talking to them. And because again, Zach was asking all the things and so was Aaron and all that. And it's like, shut up, you prick. I mean, they're not wrong. Right. But that is Lutchworth Village. Again, the history, so much worse than the hauntings. Because the hauntings, it doesn't really seem evil. It seems like a lot of residual energy and everything. The seven-foot-tall man, not really friendly. But he also didn't really attack anyone or anything. The, The only time they really got attacked was, you know, being pushed or touched or that woman was held down, which that's scary as fuck. I'm not saying that. But like overall, it's not like, you know, people are getting scratched and all of that. So I try to take solace in thinking that a lot of them are not trapped there, you know, and it is just residual energy because they had a hard life. What the people who live there went through was absolutely horrible. The wild part is, is that some of this still happens to this day with like overcrowding prisons and the unsafe conditions of some of the places in developed countries. And we still to this day have people that say the R word when talking about someone with an intellectual disability and or not just saying something that they don't understand or think is silly. Say the R word, you know, Right, I know even medical professionals say it. But anyway, even with what we understand now, we still don't understand anything. I don't know. I just feel like people are just so misunderstood and then they get put in vulnerable situations because people don't understand them. And so it's like like this, like people with an intellectual disability or some sort of developmental delay or even a physical ailment like in a wheelchair and people didn't understand it and would think, oh, well, let's just put them somewhere mm-hmm. instead of letting them actually live their lives. Exactly. And you can see from that nurse's example that People have an innate drive to learn and do and play and be engaged in occupations like brushing their hair. They want to do this. And so if you give people the opportunities, they'll rise to the occasion. Yeah, there was a lot of misdiagnosing because they would just kind of lump people together. And I think they even said like someone who had maybe like scoliosis or something, but they were, you know, oh, feeble minded. Yeah. And it has literally nothing to do with their brain. Exactly. Also, we have to think about it was overcrowded there. The conditions were terrible, but also a lot of the people's families just abandoned them there and they, you know, neglected them more than the workers did. And a lot of that is because of the stigma for those families. So it was like out of sight, out of mind for them, but also their community Yeah, because they would be looked at as damaged. And maybe they had those ailments or so they might be looked over for a job or whatever. And they're just trying to provide for their families. Yeah, that's just it's so frustrating. This kind of makes me more excited for our um, ghost hunt in Austin in two weeks. At the Pioneer Farms. Yeah, you said that's so country. At the Pioneer Farms. <laughs> Sometimes I really do get country. I know, somebody said something the other day about my accent. And I'm like, I'm like, bitch, do you hear you? You are speaking in cursive, (laughs) ma'am. At a sloth's pace. Oh, gosh. Well, thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. You know, we always want to hear what y'all think about these stories. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the things. And remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.